We are in a season of Advent, um, and you know, I've said on stage before that Olivia and I, my wife and I, who was leading worship, um, love Christmas season, but even more than loving the Christmas season, you know, the trees, the lights, um, the good cookies, um, the, everything that comes along with Christmas season, Santa Claus, um, even more, I love the Advent season. Um, Advent is probably the most um, familiar uh, season of the church calendar that most Christians know um, that, that don't actually follow a church calendar um, because most people grew up um, with one of those boards that had uh, you know days count down to Christmas that you pull it off and you have a piece of chocolate. Then, did anybody else have one of those growing up? Brings back some pretty good memories. Um, but our expression of the Advent season is uh, is to express uh, our um, expectation of Christ's coming. We celebrate Christmas to celebrate that Jesus was born into the world um, to do all that he did for us and give all that he gave for us. And so Advent is the four weeks before Christmas that we take to celebrate um, and to remember and to wait um, for his his next coming. And so today, the first uh, word for Advent is hope. And it worked a second ago. Well, hopefully that was me. Um, hope is our first word of Advent, and hope is a pretty, pretty broad general term, and so we're going to kind of trace all throughout the Bible um, what this message of hope is to us and, and how we even practice it. Hope can be a spiritual practice, um, but hope is really something that we all need. Um, it's kind of an innate need to a human um, to have hope for something. Um, if we have nothing to look forward to or be excited about, life is kind of dull, um, if, if we have nothing to look forward to or be excited about, life is kind of sad. Um, and so we all need hope. It's a psychological thing that everybody needs to be able to have to move forward in life, to move up. Maybe you can float around and be stagnant without hope, but it won't last that long. Um, I read a really good book in college called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, it's by an old psychologist named Viktor Frankl. Oh, it's a little grainy, but it's a great book, Man's Search for Meeting. He um, was alive and, and, and experienced um, the Holocaust. He was around and, and w- like was in concentration camps and afterwards became a, or was a psychologist and kept being a psychologist afterwards. Um, and he wrote a whole book on his experience in watching people, um, the, like his observations of how people made it through concentration camps, made it through all the terrible things, the, the famine, the, the, the gassings, everything. Um, he, uh, his claim is that everyone that made it through, um, and the people that were the strongest and, and were the people that everyone kind of leaned on in the Holocaust, were the people that had something to look forward to afterwards. Um, the people that were working towards something. The people that just kind of gave up and were uh, you, you, like understandably, um, gave way to the pressure, the suffering um, that was happening to them, um, kind of gave up hope. But he says that the same people that, with the same physical advantages that kept their hope, that kept um, on with the thing that kind of kept them going, it was because they had hope, because they, because they had meaning. And so just a little thing on why it's, it's, it's so important that we have something that keeps us going, that we're pursuing. And so we hope for things today like the end of a pandemic, um, though it seems like we might have to take a couple steps back, um, we, there is a hope someday that this will be over. And we hope for things like our candidate to win an election, um, a better future for your children, a bigger paycheck, a safe home, good health. We hope for things that really aren't in our control. We hope for things that aren't 100% certain. And we hope for things that someday won't matter all that much. 
Someday, we'll look back, and the amount of money that was in your bank account won't matter. Someday, we'll look back, and the size of your house won't really matter. Someday, we'll look back, and the cold that you had won't really matter. But we hope that we don't get a cold. We hope that we have enough money. We hope that we have a big house. But someday, it's not really going to matter. And so we put hope into circumstances, people, money, etc. And it will all eventually lead to dissatisfaction, fading away, another temporary thing to replace that. Give you an example, people that live for the weekend. And I myself sometimes find myself in this mentality of living for the weekend. But we go through our five or four day work week looking forward to those two or three days at the end of the week that we don't have to do anything. We don't have responsibilities. We can party, we can rest, we can watch Netflix, watch Marvel, anything. You, you choose it. We live for the weekend. And then Sunday night comes along and we have to start preparing for the next work week. And that's just kind of a never-ending cycle that doesn't really get us anywhere. So putting our hope in temporary things, putting our hope in things that we can't control, putting our hope in you know, minute joys, minute happiness, doesn't really work. And I think that there is something that fulfills this longing of hope that we have that is permanent, something that will propel us fully, something that will never fade away, something that will never end. Something that isn't temporary, that isn't a gamble, that isn't in the circumstances that you and I can't control. And so today, if you're a Christian that has been a Christian for a long time, maybe you know all this but need to be reminded. We're stepping into the season of Advent to remind ourselves of the things that we ought to be pursuing while waiting for Christ to return. Maybe you're coming and you're not a Christian. You do put hope in these temporary things. You do put hope in things that we can't control. And so today, I just want to offer you another, a, a different way, a solid way. And maybe today, you're a Christian or not a Christian, but you have no hope in anything. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe there's, it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe it feels like you're just kind of floating around, waiting for something to happen, nothing to move forward towards. And I just want to encourage you today um, with this message of hope um, that God brings us. And so, our first week of Advent, we're focusing on hope, and my hope is that we get a full picture of what that looks like in the Old and the New Testament, and how we can live a life, like Paul says, of living hope, and then what the implications of that are. And so I'm very confident that Scripture has the answers, um, but my first encouragement in that is that we must not misinterpret, misunderstand, or misapply um, the scriptures as um, they are supposed to you know, give the message to us. And so our first passage today um, that we're going to be in is Jeremiah 29, and most people know the verse Jeremiah 29 11, and that's the most misapplied verse um, from the Bible, I would argue. Um, and so we're going to start there <laughs> and apply it correctly. And so if you would, turn with me to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is a book in the Old Testament, and Jeremiah is a prophet, which is a person sent by God, um, prepared by God, built up by God, um, to be his messenger um, of God's goodness, of, of God's message um, to the Jews. And Jeremiah, actually, he, gave, he put one of the biggest books in the Bible, and we use his words every day, Jeremiah 29, 11, to give you a future and a hope. Um, but Jeremiah, actually, his message was never really received very well. And there's actually, um, I've read some things that say Jeremiah in his whole life had only two converts um, in his whole ministry. Um, but nonetheless, he was God's messenger. And uh, today I think that he has some good stuff to tell us about 
hope. Um, and so here we are, uh, Jeremiah 29, and we're going to see what hope isn't um, because we really get wrapped up in this way, and this is how we misapply and mis- misunderstand Scripture. We get wrapped up in this way of, of thinking hope is something that it really isn't, putting our hope in, like I was talking about, in circumstances and temporary things. And so read with me, starting in uh, verse 4. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. And so right off the bat, he's saying your circumstances aren't going to change. Now, to give you context specifically of where we're at, in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah is kind of combating a false prophet, a false prophet by the name of Hananiah, told the Jews that, he, that they, were go, they had gotten deported from their, their hometown of Jerusalem to Babylon, and Hananiah had told them that they're going to be out of there quickly, so don't get comfortable. We're going to be out of here. God's going to take us out of here soon. It's going to be fine. And Jeremiah's like, nah, not exactly. Not at all, actually. Um, you're going to be here a while, and so don't get it twisted. You're going to be here. Live your lives. Circumstances aren't going to change, so settle down. Pursue the well-being of those around you. Pursue the well-being of the city, he says, because when it thrives, you will thrive. Live your lives because the circumstances aren't going to change. And so just like Hananiah was a false prophet and Jeremiah's combating these false prophets in our life, I want to kind of try and do the same thing to combat the false narratives that our culture kind of wants, wants to try and tell us of what to put our hope in. It wants us to put our hope in our presidential candidate. It wants us to put our hope in our financial freedom. It wants us to put our hope in a sports team that doesn't ever seem to do well. Don't fill in the blanks there. But God always has a purpose now. God has a future and hope for you, but in whatever you're going through right now, whatever is happening right in front of your face right now, God has a purpose for you in that right now. Now, he does want to release you from bondage. He does want to release you from suffering. He does want to give those things to you. But as those things are happening, he doesn't want you to just sit and wait. He wants you to live your lives and pursue the well-being of those around you. He wants you to live and, and go on with your lives and be with him. And so don't get it twisted. Live your lives and don't buy into these false narratives that our society wants to tell us about what to put our hope in. Read along with me. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Here it is. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. And so, 
God doesn't promise immediate release, but as we saw there, God said that I will be there. I will listen to you. You will find me. You will pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. So God doesn't promise immediate release. He says to live your lives and endure the suffering and, and do the life things. Don't just wait around for something big to change about your circumstances. And I do give you hope for your future. And actually, he prophesies that it will be 70 years. And so most of the people that are hearing this, in fact, probably all of them that are hearing this, won't even experience that. They won't even experience the time when they get to go back to Jerusalem. And so God is promising his presence here. And so the message in Jeremiah 29, 11 is not that God wants you to get the best job right now, not that you be rich right now, not that you even be rich ever, but it's that he wants you to live your life and he's going to be present with you and there is a future hope out there for you that will ultimately culminate all things, the redemption of all things. And so this debunks the way we usually see Jeremiah 29, 11. Our hope is bigger than what's in front of our face. And so the false prophet says, don't get comfortable. You're getting out of here. But God says, get comfortable. Live your life because this will probably last a while. But I do have a future for you. The big promise is here is that he promises his presence. God is with us as we are enduring suffering. And as we cling to the hope that he gives for a future deliverance for this ultimate plan, it's not like we're waiting on someone without having any communication with them. It's not like Caleb gave me a message to go meet him in 30 years at this, on this mountain, and then I'm waiting for 30 years. Maybe he'll show up, maybe he won't. No, he's with me that whole time talking about it. I get to talk to him about it. We get to talk to God until and, and be with God, and God is present with us until the redemption of all things. And so hope isn't you will now prosper you will now be successful, or you will now have nice things. It's way bigger than that. And so I want to take a step backward to get a full picture of hope defined in the Old Testament. Now, there's two words um, that the Old Testament uses to um, translate as hope. Um, and the first one is yakal, and it means simply to wait for. Yakal. Say that with me. Ready? Yakal. Good job. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, but it, it's, it's translated to wait for or as hope in the Bible. And then the next one is kava, um, to wait actively with anticipation. And now kava, actually, the kav part of it is, a, is the root of the word. And it comes from actually a cord. And so the picture that we get here is of a cord being pulled tightly, waiting for release of tension. Um, and so hope, as defined by the words that is used by it, is, is tense ex expectation ready for release. So it's about waiting, but for what? And now, today is a topical sermon, so I'm going to show you a few passages. And so hold on, strap in, zone in. I'm going to show you a couple of different Bible passages of what, uh, of how, of what our hope is in, okay? So get ready. The first one is in Isaiah 8, 17. Um, now in Isaiah, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, and if you read a lot of the Old Testament, usually the Israelites are um, doing the wrong thing. Um, and so it's usually a mess around him. And so he says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. And so who is Isaiah waiting for? Who is his hope in? Him. God. I will wait for the Lord. Okay? Same notion throughout the Psalms. Let's have one up there for you. Psalm 150, 5 through 8. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, 
For there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. So again, our hope isn't just waiting for something good to happen. Our hope is in a person, the person of God. And I have one more example, and this will take a little bit more of explaining because Hosea is hard to read. Um, but in Hosea, um, there, it, like I said, again, lots of bad things happening, not the right things. And so he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires. Um, and so it says, There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Accor into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. So Hosea chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble valley of the core, into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. And so he's talking about Israel. He says, there she'll respond as she did in the days of her youth. The days of the youth of Israel is referring to when God delivered Israel from, uh, from Pharaoh, when, when God split the sea. And so in this, God looks, or hope looks back to remember God's character in order to propel us forward to have hope in his future blessing. And so looking back and seeing God's past action in our lives, God, seeing God's past action in history gives us confidence that the hope that he gives us in the future will happen. And so biblical hope is based on the person of God, not circumstances. And matter of fact, in all of these, the hopeful people in the Bible recognize that there wasn't really any, any evidence that their circumstances will change. Um, and so it is God's past faithfulness, looking back to God's past faithfulness, that motivates our hope for the future. And so we move forward with confidence by looking backward by who, at who he is and what he's done. And so in the Old Testament, there are many, many, many prophecies and um, tellings of a king who will come um, and be among them, that God will be with his people. And so let me... Before you guys stop looking at that, <laughs> um, all the prophecies and the messages of deliverance were ultimately culminated in the coming of Jesus Christ, which is why we celebrate Christmas and why we're doing Advent right now. And this is where it becomes really cool because all these things of what the Israelites and what the what the Jews were waiting for, hoping for, it happened. God came. He was born unto a virgin, like it was prophesied. He came as his, the King among us, as it was prophesied. And so this puts us kind of in a weird position. So if Jesus already came, then what are we, what, you know, what, what's going on right now? Why do I still suffer? Why, why, why is there still bad things happening? Why do I still have to try and pursue God? Why is it not just done? Now, I want to kind of introduce you to a concept and maybe remind you of a concept for some of you scholars out there um, called the now and not yet, or the already and not yet. And that is that we live in this great theological tension, this moment in the story where we already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ, we already have it, but we don't yet experience the fullness of it, of these blessings. In one sense, we are already adopted, we are saved, we are redeemed, we are being sanctified, but in another reality, in our reality, these experiences are not yet fully here, not yet fully ours. And so underneath this theological and practical tension are the two comings of Christ. So Jesus came as a baby and died and resurrected and showed his power over death and then ascended back into heaven and then here's us and then here's his coming again. And so we're in this weird tension of 
experiencing the blessing, but also not having the full blessing. And so how does this change our hope? How does, this, how does being in this weird tension of the now and not yet change our hope, make it different from our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament? And so we're going to jump to a passage in the New Testament um, in 1 Peter, where God gives us a really good picture of what hope is, what our hope is in, how it functions today. Um, and so if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter um, and read with me, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing here that's super cool, and actually the first first thing, is that he looks back, again, just like the people in the Old Testament, he looks back to uh, God's, uh, Jesus' new birth in living hope through the, his resurrection. So hope begins with looking back still. But the next thing he says is indestructible. He says an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's like it's never going to go away. Imperishable. It doesn't expire. Undefiled. It can't be damaged. Unfading. It's going to be clear. It's always going to be there. It's the good stuff. Name brand. Unlimited warranty. Like it's, it's lasting. Our inheritance to, of, of his mercy, our inheritance of his salvation isn't going to go away. And so placing our hope in Jesus grounds us in something that is solid. It grounds us in something that we don't even have to like worry about it going away, don't have to worry about our circumstances changing because it's always going to be there, always going to be holding us up versus what we tend to hope for. Eventually, our president isn't going to be president anymore. Eventually, our money is going to be spent. Eventually, our car is going to break down. But if we put our hope in who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's going to do, we can't go wrong. The next thing he says is that it protects. So he says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So hope protects us. Just like in Jeremiah, God is with us. It says he is guarding us. Peter wrote this letter to suffering Christians in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, or Peter wrote this letter to people who were suffering because of their identity of Christ. They were suffering. They were going through bad circumstances that they themselves couldn't change, encouraging them to put their hope in Jesus. And so it's like, like imagine going through, a going through a competition knowing the outcome. I, uh, so it says you're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we know what's going to happen. We're entering the competition. We're entering the battle knowing the outcome. Um, one of my favorite movies is Back to the Future Part 2. Um, and one of the cool characters in it, he's actually the bad guy, um, but his name's Biff, and he has this almanac um, that tells all of the, the future sports events, all the outcomes of the sports events. I can't remember for how long, but that's how he builds his wealth. He has this almanac that tells him that the Raiders will win the Super Bowl in 2022, 
and, that, and so he bets on it, and it builds his wealth, and he just knows what he's going into. And so our faith, our hope in God is like that. We know what's going to happen. This protects us. Knowing what's going to happen protects us from falling, falling to the false narratives that tell us that we need to put our hope in our success, that tell us we need to put our hope in our money, that tell us we need to put our hope in people who are also broken, sinful, and temporary. So because of this hope that we have of what is to come, we can rest assured that though it hurts today, it's not going to last. We're going to be okay. God wins. And the next thing is that it refines us. He says, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, and I should have highlighted the rest of it, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So suffering grows us, but we can't endure suffering and come out the other side without keeping our hope on the person delivering us from this suffering. It's kind of like, so I just finished watching all the way through the MCU. Um, That's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And my opinion before was that Black Panther was the best movie, best standalone movie in the series, and I still think it is the best movie in the standalone series. See me afterwards if you disagree. But Black Panther has this suit, okay? And his suit absorbs all these things taken against him, so boom, he gets hit, absorb the power. Boom, he gets a bullet to his chest, absorb the power. Boom, he gets kicked, absorb the power. And eventually, with his will, he gets to use that power against the enemies that are trying to inflict danger upon him. So that's why I think he's, that's the coolest. Um, so he like, hit, 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 energy, boom, like, I win. You know, everyone runs, like, gets blown away because of the energy that they originally inflicted on him. And that's really like a really cool picture of how suffering works for us. God didn't put the bad things in your life. God didn't make that happen. But God is using it for your good. God is using it to refine your faith. Putting our hope in God forms us into the people that we're supposed to be. He takes what Satan wants to use as evil and as bad and uses it for his good and for our good. And so Keeping our hope in Christ refines us, guys. And so Christian hope is an indestructible remembrance of Jesus' resurrection that protects us, that refines us, and propels us forward to live a life, a full life as we wait for him, as we wait for the redemption of all things. And so just as the Israelites would look back to when God parted the seas for them, We look back to Jesus' resurrection to remember God's character and promise of deliverance and renewal in the last days. And so I have three challenges for you um, in this Christmas season um, based on hope. The first one is this. Don't let Christmas become an empty bag. So often for me, especially before my walk with Christ, I've always loved Christmas. I've told you this before. I've always loved the lights, all the cheesy things that go along with it. Always loved it. But then Christmas comes, Christmas morning comes, you open all your presents, and then you go to sleep that night, and Christmas is gone. It's just January. I know there's like a week afterwards, but it feels like that doesn't even exist. <laughs> but don't let Christmas become an empty bag. I, come to, I, I would experience Christmas, and you know, you, Satan ultimately would hold this bag of, this is going to fulfill, this is going to give you all the joy that you need. But then I open the bag, and it's empty. The, the materialism, the selfishness, the you know, the, the, just the cool lights, like it's all empty. 
And so don't let this Christmas season be that for you. Let it be a time to remember and be hopeful of Jesus' next coming. My second encouragement is that as this Christmas season unfolds, let's be real and honest about what you're celebrating. The whole country celebrates Christmas, but the whole country aren't believers, or at least practicing. And so be honest about what you're celebrating. Are you celebrating cookies and presents and trees, or are you celebrating a Jesus Christ who came and died for every single person that you get to encounter this Christmas season? And so be honest about what you're celebrating this Christmas season. And third, if Jesus isn't your hope, or if you're experiencing a time where you just don't have a lot of hope, I want to push you towards your next step in that. Gently. Whether that's opening up the Gospels and reading birth to resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It could be, you know, if you'd love to talk about... Um, my hope in Jesus or, or, you know, how to put your hope in Jesus, I'd love to get coffee with you, or I'm sure there's other people in this congregation that love to get coffee with you. Talk about that. See me afterwards on a more serious note than the Marvel thing. Or it could be just to come back next week. If you are experiencing a, a, a very unhopeful life right now, if Christmas is just kind of a time you're trying to get through, at the very least, come back next week. See what God might have for you as we continue our Advent Words of Promise study. And I think, fun thing is, we do this every week, this practice of looking back. Every week we take communion, and in this we look back at Jesus' action for us. The cracker represents his body, the juice represents his blood. We, we remember his action of dying on the cross and bearing our sins and bearing all the suffering that we are experiencing right now all of death, all the punishment that we deserve, and then resurrecting three days later to show us his power over death. And then this propels us into a life in light of his past action, empowering us now towards his plan of the redemption of all things. So Christian hope is an indestructible remembrance of Jesus' resurrection that protects us, propels us, refines us toward a full life until he comes back. Pray with me. Father God, we are just in awe. Um, We are hopeful in our expectation and waiting for you. Um, We are grateful for your coming and for your bearing our burdens, for bearing our sins. Um, and so, God, as we enter this time of communion, I just pray for all my brothers, sis- brothers and sisters here today um, that as we reflect on the hope that we have in you um, and as we experience the hope that we have in you, um, that you become closer to us, that we become closer to you, that you pervade us, and that we overflow as we leave here today. Um, God, we love you. And again, we just thank you so much um, for coming to us and for um, allowing us to celebrate this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.